Well, hello, and welcome to Business of Design, episode 289, and you're in for a treat because these two guys are fast becoming good friends. You've met them before, Peter and Alex Spaulding from Daniel House Club, or Daniel House Club, depending on where you put the emphasis, and we are having a conversation this time about different ways we sort of sabotage ourselves when it comes to the cost of things, shipping, moving, receiving that kind of stuff. As usual, really good advice from these two who take on completely different aspects of the business with Peter being more of the creative side, Alex being more of the money and business and finance side. In fact, in this episode, Alex says he has been reading uh, The Economist magazine since he was 15 years old. I can tell you I have not been reading The Economist magazine since I was 15 years old. I still don't read it, but I'm really glad to know smart guys like that who can tell me the good stuff that's in there. Perhaps the best conclusion of the entire podcast is the point at which we're talking about margins and how it is okay to own the fact that you need to make a certain margin to be successful. Alex and Peter explain it better than I can. And by the way, if you haven't yet tried Daniel House Club, you will save 50%, 5-0% on your Daniel House Club Pro and Pro Plus memberships when you use the code BODPRO, all caps. And this is a huge bonus, 30 days of free shipping, so don't forget about that. In the episode, Peter talks about them launching their own upholstery line, which is going to be shipping in eight weeks' time. Once you place the order, that's pretty exciting. And of course, they're designing other products that will be under the DHC brand. Give it a try. I've really enjoyed the experience. Everything has arrived in pristine condition. That first 30 days of paying no shipping is like a windfall of money coming your way. So enjoy it. We'll quickly get into the episode. Before we do, though, we have to check in with Cheryl. Thanks, Kimberly. Well, since we're already into September, let's focus on what's happening this month because I feel like there's a lot going on this month. Next week, you are headed to New York to hang out with Alex and Peter. Daniel House Club is sponsoring an event at the New York Design Center as part of What's New, What's Next? And it's a panel discussion called Take Flight, Thriving as a Small Design Business. And Kimberly's gonna be participating in that. So if you're gonna be in New York, it's happening September 14th at 4 p.m. Uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, also happening next week, September 15th, we are opening registration for Business of Design's Elite Retreat, Charleston and Savannah 2023. So that's not actually happening until April 27th to 30th, 2023, but I'm sneaking it in uh, as part of these announcements because registration does open next week. If you're a past attendee or a BOD boss member, watch your inbox. You're going to get a special promo code to use for that and early bird registration will be open. So head to the website to get your tickets. Uh, happening September 21st, our next BOD Live is going to be a book club and we're currently reading Atomic Habits and we'll have that discussion again September 21st. You do not have to read the book uh, to participate. You're still going to get a lot out of that conversation, but if you've read it, um, please come and share what you got out of it. At the end of the month, September 29th at 12 p.m. EST, uh, we're going to be doing a two-hour live webinar 
BOD contract for commercial projects. So you are going to get a copy of Kimberly's commercial um, projects contract and she's going to walk you through how she runs a commercial project and specifically how she follows the 15 steps by signing up for the live webinar. You're going to participate in the live Q&A and really be able to deep dive. We don't want you to leave with any questions unanswered. Registration is open for that. So of course, details for all of these events and more are at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cheryl. And thanks everyone for being here. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, welcome back. Nice to see you guys. Alex and Peter from Daniel House Club. How's it going? It's going very well. It's a beautiful sunny day in Portland and finally not uh, incredibly hot. So it seems like we can't have it, you know, either way. It's either rainy or a million degrees. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. very pleased that it's mild and sunny and we're happy to see you again, Kimberly. It's always nice to see you guys. And I'm looking forward actually to hanging out in New York City. We were just talking before we started recording about um, figuring out how to book your flights so you don't miss your event because the flight's delayed or your bag's delayed or like I'm just really all about the carry-on these days. <laughs> that does save quite a lot of time. I just had to wait for my carry-on for like 45 minutes a couple days ago. Your carry-on or wait a minute, your check-on? Oh, sorry, no, I said carry-on, my check bag. yeah. <laughs> I had to uh, wait for uh, my carry-on because I was, yeah. I was stoned and I didn't know where I was. <laughs> that would be a shock. No, that I would actually, be a shock. I went to college in New York City and I used to go, like when I'd come home for Thanksgiving, I would go to the airport several hours before my flight with just a carry-on bag to see if I could get on the flight before. And it almost always worked. And I don't think there's a chance in the world that you could do that anymore. Oh, wow. Those, that really is the way back machine, but that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it'll get back there. Who knows? But business is oh, good, boy. right? A business is really good. We can't complain in our profession. Yeah, that's very true. That is ex- uh, an excellent point. Yeah, business has been good. It keeps getting better too. Everybody's talking about like a slowdown and fortunately we haven't noticed it. No, but this is such a good time to talk about no matter what's happening out there in the world, there are just certain things that help us as interior design professionals at least help us do our jobs better. And that's kind of the conversation we want to have today. Lots of good advice around not spinning your wheels, chasing tiny discounts. One of my biggest pet peeves, we will meet designers who are so talented and they'll be telling a story about an install they did. And they're like, yeah. And then I went over to HomeSense or I went over to TJ Maxx or I went over to fill in the blank target. doesn't matter. I loaded up my car. I drove to the client's house. I'm like, wait, what? 
what what did you do? <laughs> like just even the optics of that are so bad, right? Forget that you're not making any money at all, but the optics are terrible. So let's talk about that. What's advice for all of us design professionals when it comes to those teeny tiny discounts? Why is it so important that we get better, deeper discounts? That's the way you make money. I We... Uh, we're driving back from California yesterday, and Peter had us listen to an Alexa Hampton podcast. Uh, and she, my whole family complained. And then by the end of it, they were like, oh, this is so educational. I'm so <laughs> glad you made us do this. Mostly just because we enjoyed a tease, Peter. Um, but at one point, she's like, you know, I used to think it was worth the argument saying, I'm going to um, take this and make money off of it because. But then I realized, you know what, just whatever. If you want to go buy it, go buy it. But this is how I make money. So I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to uh, go try to haggle for a couple hours uh, with either the client or with a vendor. Um, and I'm just, I've got to save my time and make my margin. So you need to have that discount so you can make your money, but you also need to get it in a place that isn't going to consume all of your time. Um, so a lot of them, if you want to go to a new vendor, which makes cool things, like maybe it's not a target, which you don't have a chance of getting a discount, but you've got uh, a new vendor. Um, I don't know why nothing is coming to my head right now, um, but it it takes a week to set up an account. And that is just, it's tiring, but it also means your project's going to slow down. Your client's going to ask you about something. You're like, uh, let me get back to you on the price. This used to happen to us all the time. Then we'd email a rep and we'd email the rep again and again and again. And like a week or two later, we'd finally have a price, but we still wouldn't have an account. Uh, and it's, it's draining. It doesn't look good to your client. It's not a whole lot better than going shopping at Target, although you get a lot cooler things, but it still means you're not going to make a whole lot of money. And you need that price level in order to sustain your business because you're not just doing this for fun. Uh, although I realize a lot of designers do get into it because they like what they do. They really are into making spaces look good, but that's not going to keep the lights on. That's not going to keep you fed. Uh, and eventually you need to say, this is how I make money. And Siri... Also, would like you to say that again. Say it again. I love it. Well, if Siri didn't jump in, I would jump in and I would say, "Well, I think it's really amazing that Alexa says she's willing to state I need to make my margin because so many of us are apologetic about the fact." And And I say us because I used to be, but I'm not anymore. But so many are apologetic about the fact that they're going to earn money off the products a client is going to buy. Why? Why? Tell us why that's such outdated thinking. I think Peter would be great at answering this, although uh, the dog just started whining. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea. Tell Siri to watch the dog. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Hey, Siri, Siri great can I get watcher. your Siri talking? Hey, Siri. <laughs> I think I muted her finally. I'm so sorry. We have a dog who has not totally adjusted to everybody going back to work. So um, he likes to be held at every moment. Uh, Oh, my gosh. uh, My daughter has two dogs like that. and She's in for a big shock because she's going to be going back to an office pretty soon. Uh, Yes, it it can be a struggle for them, especially the lap dogs. Would you repeat your question? I'm I'm sorry. I said, why is it such outdated thinking for designers to protect 
and not be really clear and upfront about the fact they make money off procurement. Because it still yeah. feels like so many people are apologetic about that or, you know, embarrassed in some way and have to minimize it. I mean, I think that partially because it's sort of a rarefied service that we provide, there's this feeling that it's going to be gauche to talk about money or um, that that sort of um, conversation for a more private moment, which you're never going to find, you you. <laughs> it has to be a part of your conversation right away. And part of what I liked about what Alexa said was she was talking about how the business had changed pre and post the last financial crash and how after 2008, and I think as things became more available online, um, clients just got so fixated on the number associated with a specific item. And she, and her point was, um, I don't care how you want to pay for it as long as I'm making 30% on this project or 40% or whatever it is that she determined. Um, so I think it's just that we want to present as super polished and we don't want to really get into the dirty sort of emotional stuff. I mean, people behave oddly when you start talking about money, even, um, even people with plenty of it, I think. So it can be very scary. I think often the client will follow our lead, though, if we're just matter of fact, like, yes, I do need to make a 30% margin at the end of the day, or whatever that margin is, if we're matter of fact about that, especially clients who run a business completely understand, I, I think they follow our lead. And so if we're acting vague or apologetic or evasive about money, the client's picking up on something's not right here. And we sort of shoot ourselves right in the foot. So I, I, I know you would say just be transparent with clients. The yeah. other thing I think like even in just normal management, this is important, but going in with a client, that conversation's fairly easy to have if you have it at the very beginning. Yes. Um, and having it later is really challenging. It's like expectations have already been set. You're kind of changing them. But if you go in and say, this is how I make my money um, and just move on from it. Don't even leave space for a question. It's not very hard to say. It's not very scary. And people usually are just like, okay. Yeah, I find yeah. It, I found putting it in my contract and just reading it to the clients back in the day when I was afraid, I just read it and I read it and I read it and I read it. And finally, after I don't know how many times that I read it and the clients didn't push back, I thought, well, this is fine now. I'm okay. I can do this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Paper courage. Yeah. We're lucky in that we did not start our business in the era of not being transparent. So we never really had that awkward, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable um, telling my client that I'm I'm charging. Whereas I think it used to be common to sort of bury your cost and your fee and not really break it out in a in a really clear, concise. That being way. said, so we don't have that a whole lot. We did have, and we continue to have, even with Danny House Club, um, this people don't really want to pay a whole lot for an item. So they might be very happy. It's like, okay, just increase your fee, which I always think is funny. It's like, it's the same, effectively the same price. It does make it more complicated. And we usually were like, no, but because then we've got to make new billing systems and structures. Um, 
but still like with shipping, we have quite a few people say, oh, can I just pay you a bigger monthly fee and not have shipping? Um, and unfortunately, right now we say no, because that's really complicated. But, um, but I have a question. So those designers who say, let me pay you a bigger monthly fee so I don't have to pay shipping, they're just then going to eat the cost of shipping? Um, they want, they're happy to pay the cost of shipping. They just, I don't want to see the cost of shipping largely. It's a weird kind yeah, of psychological. We but that goes totally. back. If they have that. They can't be billing shipping to clients then. Right. I think They're that just is eating the, case. the shipping. So we, we get our hands on a lot of profit and loss statements now with the people that we work with oh, the business of design. And we'll say, man, you're, you're bringing in a lot of money at the end of the year. Where's the profit? And a huge, Huge category is shipping, moving, delivery, couriers. People are like, nah, don't worry about it. Our shipping, delivery, courier fees have gone up 400% this past year, <laughs> 400% overall. That is actually, I mean, perfect example. Like even we kind of struggle with this billing our designers shipping. Part, partly we want it to be super easy. Our idea from Peter has always been a, uh, a designer client of ours should be able to be on the job site and figure out the price of something by looking it up and just being able to do the mental math on shipping. That's why we started with a 10% fee. Um, it could be flat. It could be easy. Now, 10% today is really low. And we, uh, in the first half of the year, uh, subsidized, I think, 300000 in shipping. And we realized, you know, we can't do this. Uh, we were losing money for a while on on many sales, so we increased it to fifteen percent. We tried to stay as low as we possibly could, um, but also wanted it to be really easy. But yeah, you do have to charge. It's like you effectively are just giving people away your time and your things if you're not billing from them for shipping, uh, especially yeah. if you're not selling at retail, so you can't absorb that margin. Yeah, why why absorb any margin? I think raise your mm. rate and bill your clients for shipping. And we just bill it straight. We don't put any margin or markup on shipping. And that way when yeah. the client goes, oh my gosh, this is insane. We, here's the bill. Here's the bill from the <laughs> shipper. You know, if you want to drive to, you know, Idaho and pick it up yourself, great. Otherwise, that's what it costs to get it here. So... Perfect. You may uh, you may push back at this. Maybe I should get some advice from you. I don't know. Um, uh, for the last several projects we've done, we've just had a line item at the bottom that says shipping for this project, and it's been quite large. Um, but I find uh, maybe partially because of where we are located in the country that sometimes if the shipping is so big, it means I'm not going to get that piece in my project. Mm. If, if I put under the, you know, if I put the shipping and it's almost the same price as the item, whereas if I go and lump it in the bottom of this fee for shipping for the whole project, then my client's not necessarily associating the shipping with that particular item. So it makes it easier for them to make a decision. Yeah, I, you know, I don't object to that, provided you're covering yourself at every possible avenue. But for in our company, we're dealing not only with shipping, we're dealing with shipping duties, 
We're dealing mm. with customs broker fees. And then we have movers independent of all of that. Because once I ship the bar stools I ordered from Daniel House, which, by the way, look really good. Uh, we haven't okay. installed the project yet, but we opened the boxes when the, the these particular stools arrived. They look great. When awesome. I ship them across the border, I've paid all those fees. But then they have to get to a warehouse. And then that still has to get shipped sometimes to my receiver and then again to the client. So there's there's shipping and there's more moving and there's it's just constant, right? So I don't have an objection to just covering yourself 15% across all shipping, although I suspect you guys are still losing money on shipping. I shouldn't say that because I'm a customer and I don't want to pay more, but you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. It's just brutal well, right now. It's brutal. It it's is brutal. Difficult. And I will say we've been able to, with a 15%, often break even. Um, so it it's kind of amortized across every type of product. Well, and since we spoke to you last, we introduced a few different types of shipping options. So um, I said, Alex, you need to say what they are because I'll, you know, not make any sense when I explain them to you. Um, well, I mean, we just have um, curbside, which we've always had, which is the standard 15%. Then we have expedited so you can get it a little bit faster. I always want to be very clear. That means faster once it leaves the warehouse. Right. Not We can't necessarily make the piece of furniture faster or have the company make it faster. Um and then we've got a uh, room of choice. So it'll actually be put in your place, uh, in your client's place, and the packaging will be taken away, but not assembled, and white gloves. So that's put where it's going to go, assembled and package removal. So I bring that up because those are over the 15%. Yeah. So, and we have a decent number of customers um, choose that option. So it helps us. And uh, I would bit. actually say that for designers, we have almost every time we have somebody go for white gloves, which can be a good chunk of money, especially on a $20,000 order. Um, we're told that their client just doesn't want to deal with anything and they're okay with that extra price. And so like, I think that's another reason to be confident. It's like the client's actually asking in those cases for, to spend more money. Like this is a luxury service. Be okay. Be confident. That's what, that's what they're getting into. Absolutely. And then because it's going to be extra, if you give your clients a flat fee of 15%, you may have shot yourself in the foot because now you need extra money. I would also say if you're doing mid to high end clients, there's no such thing as curbside delivery. What is that? (laughs) Right, we ordered some pieces from uh, First Dibs. I mean, we're talking like a thirty thousand dollar chest oh of drawers, gosh. and they're going to yeah. drop it at the curb. Are you kidding? And then what? I'm like going to show up with my design team, and we're going to like lug it into the hat. Like that's insane. That just yeah, uh, can't wow. happen. We had that happen when we were brand new and like, I didn't know about, I'd never received commercial orders before. And that's just the way it got left. And nobody told me, uh, and it was like, Peter and I scrambled because it was on a busy street in the city. We're like, we've got to get this off. So nobody steals it and then away. So the city doesn't find us for having a pallet. Um, but because of that, we do actually, we leave the curbside because you're right. You can't just do that in a city, but we're very upfront, but a lot of our designers, and I would really recommend this do have them shipped to warehouses um, yeah. upfront, excellent for your system and excellent for your clients if you're able to do that. Yeah. Um, but then the curbside is the cheapest in that case. But is, is, uh, shipping it to my mover receiver, is that considered curbside or that's one step up, but it's not white glove? 
that is considered curbside. Oh, it is. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. So yeah, that's what I should have done. The, with first dibs, they didn't make it very clear. None of none of the orders, and I, of course we made them in a flurry, none of them made it clear that it was curbside. Have, had we had a clear indication we could have picked white glove, of course you pick that when you're buying expensive things. But mm-hmm. even not expensive things, like you said, you don't want it disappearing. Like anyway, I don't, I don't live... What in what world do you deliver anything to clients curbside? I don't understand that. I, I yeah, don't. I would not recommend it to the client. It's, no, it's never. Understand. Unless it's a light or a carpet or something that can just easily be thrown in the door. But no, still. but then you're asking adjusted. your client what, like, hey, do you mind going outside and picking up this huge box of a light fixture and opening it and making sure it's not damaged? And like, by the way, there's going to be styrofoam chips all over your living room when you do it. Like, it just, no. Good point. No. That's all true. Right. Yeah. I, I, use a receiver whenever possible. That is was revolutionary when we started doing that in design firm. Yeah. Okay. Us too. You, one of you said that being an interior design professional is like being a travel guide. What do you, who said it and what does that mean? That's me. Um, I, I think that it's really goes back to, um, setting expectations really well. I mean, I used to just come in and think my, my job is to, um, make this totally perfect and beautiful, which it is. Um, but I think that you want to be a companion to your client and you want to come alongside them. And if you're, um, I don't know, on a trip to Morocco, which Alex has been to and I never have. So, um, you, you want to be really comfortable. You're in a foreign land. You want somebody who knows where you are to take you by the hand and say, this is going to be okay. And we're going to have a wonderful time together. And that means that from the very beginning, you kind of give them the lay of the land and you show them very well where you're headed. Um, and so I've, started just to think about every project like that. Um, and it gives me the confidence to talk really well about what I know about, because it reminds me that my client doesn't know what I know. Um, and I need to set the parameters for them and keep them on the road. So Um, you're telling them this is what's going to happen. This is when you can expect it. If this happens, don't be surprised. It happens all the time. Let us handle it, et cetera. Just kind of preparing them for what's coming up. Yeah. And actually I'm finally getting to the age where I'm working for friends sometimes. And I don't know, I, it's fun. It's, it's a little bit different experience, but it helps me realize, yeah, this is, um, this is, can be a relationship like any other. And, um, I can say, here's what we're going to watch out for. And here's how we're going to make this wonderful together. Um, I, 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 I think that we often think of the relationship as very one-dimensional, but it doesn't have to be that way, I don't think. No, no, I don't I don't think it does at all. I think the other times, like when I'm most impressed with Peter and in front of clients, it was really helpful is like talking to a contractor or a, um, a subcontractor, like a plumber. It's like knows the in and outs of what's going to happen here. Obviously not enough to do the plumbing, um, but able to speak that language and a client can see it. And it's almost like you're in a travel guide with a, in a different country who's suddenly speaking French and you're like, Oh, that's impressive. Uh, and show it just being really confident about that, doing it in front of a client, I think inspires a lot of trust. 
I love your relationship, the two of you that you have. You obviously have a great deal of respect for each other and you bring different things to the table. And that's probably why uh, it's going so well at DHC. And I'm glad it's going so well. And tell us what's new. What's new at Daniel House Club? There's so much. And I think Peter's very excited to tell you about all the furniture he's been designing. Yeah, well, lots and lots of stuff is new and we're adding new vendors all the time. And um, and I'm happy to say that people are are shopping regularly and we have great rate of repeat, repeat purchasing happening on Which our site. Which is this, not only for business reasons are we excited about repeat purchase, yeah. but for trust. Like we're glad that we've actually been able to make relationships with people. Because that's one of our biggest things is you've got to trust the people you work with because uh, that's going to make you a better designer. It's going to make you better at whatever you do. And you don't have to deal with all that, the junk that comes up in your life because you're like, oh, I've got great people and we want to be great people. Yeah, and we um, talk all the time about having an A-team, and, and that means my contractor, my plumber, my tiler, my electrician, but it also means my suppliers, right? If I give enough of my business, if I concentrate enough business with key suppliers, then I'm important to them, and they go out of their way to make sure that my projects get fulfilled and that when something goes wrong, I'm taken care of quickly. It's really become clear to me during this busy, busy spurt of growth, you know, in our industry, that the relationships I've made with my vendors have saved me. I've gotten definitely preferential treatment to people they don't know as well. Yes. I mean, it, it is, um, it really makes you look amazing when you have a team that is there for you. And I I think your client presumes maybe nobody else are they there for. (laughs) (laughs) Only me. (laughs) Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's wonderful. And, um, we have been so excited that we have been able to be that for, uh, a number of our clients. So, um, but we have we are putting out a few exclusive Daniel House pieces, um, not because uh, we thought it would be fun to do some furniture, more because we now have pretty good data on what people, what types of things people buy at what price point, um, and what we get inquiries for all the time that sometimes we're not able to find for people. So. Um, we're putting out a couple of wooden frame chairs, a couple of swivel chairs, um, a little, uh, I, we've been calling it in our office, a suspended chair, but it's a seat where or it's a, it's an upholstered chair where the, um, the seat is suspended off the arm. So there's nothing underneath. Um, and all of this is kind of scaled at, uh, a size where it's not a teeny tiny piece of furniture that people won't feel comfortable in, but it is of a scale that you can easily drop it into a floor plan without feeling like, oh my gosh, everything's going to be squished. Um, So that's sort of the impetus for these pieces. We're also doing, we get asked all the time for some, for, for big ottoman, um, square or round, People seem to be using those a lot instead of coffee tables. So we're doing a pill-shaped ottoman that comes in a couple of different diameters. It'll be upholstered to the floor, and you'll be able to specify the length. I don't remember what our max length is right now, but you can also specify that you want it as a round instead of a pill shape. Um, And it's all going to be made in the United States and ready to ship in eight weeks. And then we have a few pieces that are going to be part of a quick ship program. They'll be 
similar, um, but they're going to be made in North Carolina and they'll ship in three weeks. And everything's available in COM. Uh, and then the eight-week pieces have five different fabrics and the quick ship pieces just come as they are. Or you can do the COM. This is very exciting. I don't, I'm not looking for an upholstered ottoman, but I do need a coffee table for a project in California. So I'm going to go online and see what you have cooking. I have so many, I find so many that I like, but they're never quite the right size. So if I'm in Toronto, I have somebody who makes everything. It's not a problem. But in LA, I just don't have that go-to yet. Yeah, it's funny how how um, specific the coffee table dimension seems to be for each project. It's never quite the same, and it yeah, it always presents a trick. I find there's so many small ones, but not really enough gigantic ones. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There, they do get huge, but yes, there aren't a whole lot of those. And dining room uh, tables. There's so many fussy ones, and then there's the country ones. But just finding a cool modern like dining table. Anyway, that's another one I think is hard. You know, well, you've given us some inspiration for what our next <laughs> I'm sending you pictures. to be. <laughs> I'm sending you um, pictures. Yes, please do. That would be perfect. <laughs> and also, I was going to say as an interlude, of an example of what not to do, but we did when we were a new design firm is, yeah, it is hard to find those uh, simple dining tables. We're actually right now on a CB2 table um, that was... Uh, burled wood and it only cost $500. So we bought all of the rest of their stock um, because this, I think they had already had it for three years. So there are only like five left in stock, um, but because it was really great and it fit that need and we couldn't find anything else that did it under $5,000. So, well, and the problem was that everybody who came into our office loved them so much. They're really kind of a distinct looking Parsons table and, uh, they wanted it made for themselves and I could find somebody to make it for $10,000, which felt, you know, just somehow like I was cheating people oh. given the one that I'm sitting on is $500, but we had one customer go all the way through with it. So, which uh, we should make something similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah obviously I think that's exactly the kind of coffee table we need because there's a big, box store that's wonderful whose initials are rh and i always just feel like i can't really shop there yes i I think they do a great job of knowing what we want but i don't want everybody who comes into my projects to go oh look your client was at the mall and went to restoration (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah that doesn't feel good um sorry i stepped away for a moment did you mention some of our new vendors coming on no. Uh, who are you most oh, excited? Um, we're we're adding a, a lot of vendors, but there are three that I'm I'm emphasizing uh, or elongating that because there's always a little hiccup with imageries or images. Um, hopefully, we get them all before our event, but we should be adding um, Eicholtz, uh, Cyan, and Theodore Alexander um, by the middle of next month, Excellent. uh, which should add some great Ottoman options and dining. Theodore Alexander has some cool dining tables. Yeah. Uh, especially I love their fan one that opens out and spreads out as a round table. It, uh, it is cool. very cool. Uh, but then we, we do have about 15 others in our, uh, backlog that will be on by the end of the year, but I'm can't share them all cause they're partway. Well, and we are, Working this fall, it's expanding the amount of textiles and wallpaper we offer because right now we offer pretty much everything that Kravit offers. And it's nice that we offer it because you can buy it all in one place. Do you have um, Cole and Son? We do. Yes, we have Cole and Son. Yep. We're going to offer um, some Kate Blairstone papers. She's a, 
a woman who works here in Portland, Oregon. And if you ever get the opportunity to visit here and travel around to our many wonderful restaurants, it is likely that you will see some Kate Blair Stone wallpaper because she really helps companies set their image. So her paper then gets put onto plates in the restaurant. I mean, it's a whole feeling, um, but she is bringing some of her products onto our site. We're really excited about that because it offers a little bit more of a custom maker feel. Um, and we're going to include her in the same panel that we're talking with you on um, because I just think she's such a great creative mind. Um, I'm looking so forward to meeting her. Yeah. In yeah, person. She, I mean, we did a, we did a little zoom call, but anyway, I'm looking forward to meeting her in person. She's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh um, my gosh. You guys sound like you're doing great. I'm so happy and I'm so looking forward to New York and you know, we like to end every episode with design intervention. So what comes to mind? Do we start, should we share design uh, from Peter and business intervention from me or oh, just design okay. business? intervention? No, I like well, this. Let's We're go with your business intervention okay. first. So uh, I actually, this just came up on The Economist again, uh, which is a great magazine. I've been reading it since I was about 15, which probably makes me sound like a nerd. Um, but uh, the idea of just doing the things that you're really good at and that don't drain you. Uh, so it, pretty much every successful CEO I've talked to and fortunate enough to know quite a few of them are like, so adamant that you shouldn't be doing anything that you're really bad at uh, and you get it off your plate as fast as possible because it's wrecking the business. Uh, I think that's really great advice. And actually, when we got our new CFO two years ago, I met his old CEO um, and he I was talking to him for a while and he was like, what are you bad at? And I, I honestly don't remember what I said. Probably a lot of things because I'm bad at a lot of things. He was like, oh, great. Caleb's wonderful at those. Don't do those anymore. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, but then I was reading in The Economist, they had kind of the science behind this, which I'm really, you know, kind of like the details. I don't want to bore people, so I won't read the whole article. But summarizing it is like you can actually in the brain measure the release of this chemical called glutamate, which uh, builds up around the synapses as you're doing a lot of hard uh, thinking. And it is actually uh, in large doses toxic for the brain. So it'll start to destroy those neurons. Uh, so your brain starts to slow you down. And that's what comes up with cognitive fatigue. And your, your brain is actually saying, hey, we, <laughs> there's too much of this stuff here. Slow down, take a break. But the more hard thinking you do, which is a lot of stuff you're not good at, the more you're actually physically kind of destroying your brain. And after hours of this, you're much more likely to make short-term decisions. So things that are actually bad for your business, bad for your life. Um, and you just don't like, and that can be big things like cooking the books um, or uh, thing, really simple things like you're much more likely to not be able to resist a cookie at the end of the day if you've been hard, thinking about hard things all day long. And oh, so- wow. I never, There's, I've never heard of this before. What was this? The, what is this chemical or this enzyme? What is it? I shouldn't do pronunciations because I've only ever read about it. But glutamate, G-L-U-A-T-A-M-A-T. Um, it right. used to be thought that it was glucose levels. And so this is pretty new research. Uh, I, I try to, I read a lot um, of silly things, but it's, so it's very um, new research that was just done, I think over this last year, but uh I find it really fascinating because we know this, we know we get really tired, um, but having reasons for it somehow makes me more confident of like, okay, 
I'm just not going to do that. I'm stuff actually anymore. making the right decision to stop right now. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. No wonder I didn't, dropped out of being an electrical engineer. It, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely um, in the wrong I place. I think that my intervention. <laughs> Yeah, I would be very much in the wrong place if I were doing that as well. Um, I think my addition to that would just be to um, illustrate it really well in something that happened at work last week because we have been so busy. Um, it really hasn't been part of our model necessarily to take on design work. We have only done it when it's been for a client that we worked for in our previous iteration as a business, and we knew that they were going to be fun and easy to work with. Um, and so we took on just a little teeny project and it went very, very smoothly. And then last week, our CFO called me and he was like, Peter, there's a problem. And I was like, no, there can't be any problem. It was perfect. Everything went so well. And he was like, yes, but you didn't bill her for like $8,000 of a project. And it was a little teeny project. And But she'd already seen a number. And so now exactly. you've got to like, oh, Yes. Oh, and it was because wow. I was handling the accounting on this project, oh my God, which I am Peter. terrible at. You, so, and I, you and me both. Yeah. So I, I, Caleb got it all fixed in like 30 minutes. I hung up with him, literally wept because I was like, I'm so stupid. Um, and then I called my client who has been a wonderful client for like seven years. And she was like, would you like to be paid in beer or would you like a check? So, um, 50, 50. so yeah. fortunately it all worked out just fine, but, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. Sticking to what you're good at is absolutely critical. It's so important. And you'll be have, uh, great illustration. Our business is probably double the size. It was when we were running a design firm, I work half as much time as I did. And I'm loving it. I was super stressed out before doing all of the marketing and management and accounting and finance, and it was killing me. And now I'm I'm thrilled. Love love almost every minute of the day. You guys are definitely in the right place. It sounds like like I I can so relate to that. I sent an email to a client because I got involved with accounting, which I have no business doing, and it was a simple typo. But um, she owed me another seven thousand dollars, and. It was really painful. It was just so painful. I brought her a bottle of wine on the weekend and said, you know, I'm <laughs> such a I'm such a screw up. I'm not supposed to do any accounting and now you know why. And she was very gracious about it. But you know, truthfully, there's another scenario where the client kind of loses her mm. mind and it's a horrible scene. So we both got lucky and luck is not good enough. So leave it <laughs> to the experts to do the accounting. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you guys, continued success. I am super excited. If you haven't tried Daniel House Club yet, I I guarantee you I have had a great experience so far with all of my purchases, and we will continue to grow our relationship with these wonderful vendors. And I can't wait to see you in New York. We can't wait to see you either. So good talking to you again, Kimberly. Good to see you again. Thanks for having us. Anytime, anytime. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today 